Welcome to Linda's Corner. My name is Linda Bjork, and today we're going to be talking about living life joyfully. I'm excited to welcome special guest Andy Watts. And first, I like to share how I know Andy, or at least how I know of him, and why I'm so excited that he is willing to share his story with us today. My husband, Lewis is an airline pilot. He works for SkyWest, and he really likes his job. But like most jobs, some days are better than others. And one thing that really helps Lewis have a good day is if his co-pilot is easy to get along with. He says if he's flying with someone who is interesting and fun, like the days he gets to fly with Andy, who is also a pilot at SkyWest, then the day is better. He says he feels like the plane goes faster. But if he's flying with someone who has a negative attitude, then the days can drag. So Andy makes my life better by simply being awesome. Because if my husband has a good day at work, then he's more fun to be around when he's home. And Lewis also appreciates Andy's sense of humor. For example, my husband builds airplanes as a hobby, and his current project is a Europa that he named Big Jimmy. He was super excited when he finished the wings, and he showed up at work and announced, Big Jimmy got new wings! And Andy thought that was kind of funny. So now instead of saying hello, he greets him with, Big Jimmy got new wings! And one time when Lewis was in Denver for some flight training, he was learning how to fly a new airplane, and the training was super intense and stressful. And during one of the breaks, another pilot that Lewis didn't know walked up to him and said, Um, are you Lewis? I just got a text from Andy Watts, and he said that I'm supposed to tell you that Big Jimmy got new wings. Does that mean anything to you? And Lewis totally started laughing and told him the story, and being able to laugh and tell a story helped reduce the stress a little bit. And again, it helped Lewis have a better day. Another thing that Lewis loves about Andy is the way he prioritizes his time and his family. Andy puts his family first. His wife and his kids are more important to him than work. And he's always taking his kids skiing and playing with them and spending time with them. Andy knows that spending time with the people you love is precious. He has three children, ages 10, 7, and 5, and he calls them his miracle kids. His beautiful wife, Lindsay, was 16 weeks pregnant with their first child when Andy was diagnosed with cancer. Shortly after Christmas in 2010, he began an aggressive fight with cancer that changed everything. And that is the story that Andy is going to share with us today. So Andy, first of all, I want to thank you for making my life better by being an awesome person and helping my husband be happier. And thank you for being willing to visit with me today and to share your story, which I think will help a lot of people. Well, thanks for having me on, Linda. You make me seem a lot better than I really am. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to know that everything pretty much that I know about you is coming from these unsolicited testimonials because Lewis thinks you are awesome. <laughs> well, I think I got Lewis fooled then. <laughs> <laughs> That's not necessarily a bad thing. So yeah. I gave the super short version of the whole cancer thing. Can I have the extended version? So, yeah, um, in 2010, I was diagnosed with cancer in October of 2010. And as you can imagine, that is, as a 29-year-old individual, that's not the word you would expect to ever hear in your life. And you thought only old people experienced cancer. And 
that's where it all began in October. And I went through a, a, a um, surgery shortly after I was diagnosed. And then I was scheduled to have a really intensive surgery where I was going to have a 12-inch incision from my belly button up through my chest and the organs were going to come out and start stripping lymph nodes because it had metastasized. We were in my, um, my like you had mentioned, my wife Lindsay was pregnant and we were in the 3D ultrasound the day before the really intense surgery was supposed to happen. And you can imagine I was, I was a mess. And this is the first time we had seen our little boy who's named Charlie. He's 10 now. But um, we were looking at the images and the 3D images of, the, of our little boy and, and, you know, that Lindsay was carrying. And, and I was a, a complete disaster, as you can imagine, because I didn't know if I'd ever see that child. Oh, that's and here I am looking at the screens of him, sorry, and not knowing if I'd see him. Wow. And... And um, it, my phone kept ringing during that whole procedure. As you can imagine, there were a lot of prayers, a lot of fasting that had taken place over the course of the, last, of the two weeks of from one surgery to the next. But um, my phone kept ringing during that whole 3D ultrasound of that experience. And it was my doctor at the cancer hospital, Alpha Huntsman, and he kept calling and calling, but I didn't answer the phone. And when I got out of that appointment with her um, OB-GYN doctor, I listened to my voicemails and there was a couple of them from my doctor and I was assuming it was just about the procedure that was going to take place with me in the morning. He had said, we're not doing that, that surgery tomorrow. And he had decided not to do it anymore because the pathology came back from, um, the report came back that I guess it would be called the biopsy, right? Or something like that. Mm-hmm. Had come, had come back and it was the better of the two type of cancer. So all they needed to do at that point was chemotherapy. So, Anyway, that's kind of how it all began. It was a pretty stressful couple couple months, and I waited a few weeks before chemotherapy started, which I jumped for joy because I didn't have to have that surgery. So um, where where was your cancer? You, you said you were split from here to here, or, or going to be yeah, split I was from cut. There. I was cut. It was testicular cancer, oh, okay, so they had okay. to take they had to take the tumor out. But it had metastasized into my lymph system, so my lymph nodes had oh that had spreads grown. everywhere, and so it spread in my back mainly, and so they had to. They were going to, I can't remember the technical or the medical term for it, but they were going to cut, cut me open and, and take out the organs around it and then strip those lymph nodes out of my back because they can't go through your back. But they decided I had seminoma versus non-seminoma, and seminoma was the better of the two. And so they decided to treat it with chemotherapy. And what was that like? How long did that last? Chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. So chemotherapy, um, I didn't even know what it was. I knew people did it. I didn't really know what it was. I jumped for joy that I did not have to have that surgery because that was, I'd had one surgery where they removed the tumor and then I had to wait a week to recover and then I was going to go into that other procedure. But with that being canceled, I was so excited that I just had to do chemotherapy. So this was about middle of November now and they told me that I would wait, I was going to do a PET scan to see if the uh, cancer had metastasized into my brain, if it had spread into my brain. Mm-hmm. So I did, I did that. I had to wait a couple weeks before I could get myself in a position to have the PET scan. I did the PET scan. That came back negative. So that was 100% let's do chemotherapy, which started two days after Christmas. And chemotherapy, for those that have experienced chemotherapy or have watched someone that has gone through chemotherapy, uh, me not knowing was a good thing. I didn't know what chemotherapy was. Now that I know what chemotherapy is like, I don't know if I could ever do it again. You it's very probably hard. wouldn't really have hard jumped for joy. Yeah, wouldn't have jumped for joy. But at that point, I was happy to just not be doing that surgery. But chemotherapy is tough. I had a lot of complications. I went through a pretty 
testicular cancer is very, very treatable and very, very curable if you catch it early. Mine wasn't really caught early. I was in stage two. There's only three stages of it. At stage three, it's too far. Different stages of stage three. They don't do like stage four. But I was in stage two. And so it's a very aggressive cancer that spreads very quickly. But you, so you treat it very, very, you know, really aggressively. So they put me on a regimen that I had some complications. The regimen they put me on is a regimen that was created for Lance Armstrong. So that doctor was created, his doctor he pretty much created this from my understanding for Lance. And that's when they started to treat it. My doctor told me if I was late 80s, early 90s, probably with this type of cancer, I wouldn't, they wouldn't have been able to treat it. Oh, wow. So they were able to treat it. But it was hard. You'd go five days. I did what they call BEP. It was consisted of three chemotherapy drugs. I started and I did pretty good day one, day two. Um, day three, I started to get sick. Day four, I started to get really sick. So I'd go five straight days of chemotherapy. I was at the wow. Huntsman Cancer Hospital for six hours. Me neither, Linda. And I didn't even, like I said, didn't know what chemotherapy was. But when I got in the infusion room and sat in my chemo chair, tried to make small talk in light of the situation that I had been presented. And the patient that sat next to me got up, he sat down, got chemotherapy and left. And, you know, I'm an hour into six, my six hour treatment. Another patient sits down, gets up an hour later and leaves. And I'm thinking, what's going on here? So the nurse comes over and when they, when they put the chemotherapy, I did mine through my veins because I was young and I, they told me I had good veins. A lot of people do ports and pick lines. Uh-huh. So um, I could go on forever, and I'll, I'll spare you the details on those. But So I'd go through my veins, and these people would just hook up the port and leave. And I asked the nurse, as she would hook me up to my chemo, she changed through the different drugs that um, they would wear long gloves, lab coats, they put on goggles. They didn't want any of this to touch them. So I said, why? Are you, you're putting this in my body, but you won't even touch it? So it's kind of an eye-opener, right? That's scary. And I said, I've, I've sat here through three different patients, and I've still got four hours, or no, roughly three hours now. Uh, what's going on? Am I dying? And they're not telling me exactly what's going on. And she said, no, yours is a very aggressive cancer, but a very treatable cancer. So we have to, we really have to attack this cancer. So I, um, so day four came and went by day five, I was so sick that I got admitted into the hospital because I was so weak and I couldn't keep anything down. And, um, I had a lot of some very, you know, severe side effects after five days of straight chemo that they would do. It wasn't six hours of straight chemo. It was two hours of prehydration, two hours of chemo, two hours of post-hydration because they didn't want my kidneys to fail with all the, you know, with all that. So they'd, fl- they'd fill me with fluid, give me the chemo and then fill me with fluid again. Wow. But I, I was struggling so bad by the weekend. Um, that they put me into the hospital, and I was cheering at that point because I thought they'd cancer, they cancer. They they would stop chemo. I said, "Oh, they're just going to stop now because I'm I'm going to I'm struggling so bad." Um, but they didn't. My doctor actually emailed the doctor back in Indiana that created the regimen and said, "My patient Andy is not doing very well with cisplatin. I think it might kill him." And the response from the doctor was, "It's the only chance he has. Continue with cisplatin." And so I laid in that hospital bed, just, I was on morphine at that point. So I don't know if you've ever been on morphine, but I was hallucinating and it's not recommended, but I was in the hospital thinking I was just weird dreams and thinking they're not going to give me chemo anymore. I can't wait. And that morning they came in and my oncologist came in and hooked me back up to cisplatin. And I thought, what are we doing here? I thought we wouldn't do this anymore because he could have made it. And he said, and he told me what that doctor said back in Indiana. 
I believe it was an actual doctor, Lance Armstrong's doctor that he communicated with and said, it's the only chance you have. And I would do five days of that, then they'd send me home. Then I'd have a couple days off, then I'd come back and do one drug on Tuesdays. And then I'd go home and recover for a couple days, do the other drug on Tuesday, recover for a couple days, and then I'd go back for a full week of chemo. And that lasted for three months. Wow. And wow. in that process, I went in for, you kind of gear yourself up mentally for that. When I'll keep talking, stop me if you don't want me to continue. Keep going. But, but um, during that process, I would get my labs done before I'd start my long week to see kind of where my white blood count was and where everything was to make sure I was healthy enough to start chemo because they pretty much wipe everything out. So you gear yourself up mentally. And I remember that Sunday thinking, I got to start my long week tomorrow. And mostly me and my wife were getting ready for it because it's, it was, it was quite hard. And I went in and got my labs drawn and they sent me home because they couldn't do chemotherapy because my white blood count was so low. They told me if I had gotten sick or anything like that, I probably wouldn't be able to fight the infection. So they went, they sent me home and put me on a shot called Neupogen and I'd get shot for 10 days. I'd get shot and that would increase my bone marrow to um, produce those white blood cells so quickly. But that was an awful experience because your body aches. Like you have the flu times 10. I couldn't sit anywhere. I couldn't lay anywhere because my body throbbed everywhere. And all, and all they were doing was producing white blood cells just to wipe them out again, right? With the chemotherapy. So it was a roller coaster ride. Um, but I remember my first day, and this is, sorry to kind of switch gears here. I remember my first day of chemotherapy. I sat in that infusion room up at the Huntsman Cancer Hospital. And the nurses came over to a lady, an elderly lady, and um, had told her that if she could just find the strength, very fatigued, she looked very fatigued, as you are in chemotherapy. If, you could if she could find the strength to just walk to her mailbox and back once a day, she would do better. And... At that point, I turned to my wife and I said, I'm going to run through this whole thing. And she said, whatever. So I would go home with the veins, with the IVs hooked to my arms because they'd try to keep them in because they'd poke me every day. I call it poke, but they'd call it, they'd put an IV in every day to start the chemo. But if they could flush it and it wouldn't clot, then they would keep it in for three days. So this is the middle of January or the first part of January. And I'd have all these tubes hooked to my arm and they'd tape them up because I was coming back in the morning. I'd leave about four in the afternoon and be back at eight. And I'd just go home and run in the winter, cold. It was hard, but it was the only thing through chemotherapy that made me feel like I was alive. It was the only thing because all I did is live at the hospital and felt sick at home and laid in bed. And so I, I'd go home and run and it was stupid as is. My oncologist said, you're going to kill you. It's not good on your heart. I said, doc, it's the only thing I got left. So that's how I kind of got into, I mentioned to you in my little, my little text to you that I got into running and I ran a little bit before, but that's kind of where I, we decided that that's kind of what kept me feeling like I was still alive. So. Anybody that experiences chemo, I've been, visited with a lot of people that came um, over to my house that had been diagnosed with cancer in my previous house in my neighborhood that I live in now. And, you know, I can say this is how it was for me. It's, it's so different for everybody. But I'd said, what, well, the only thing I can recommend is you find something that can make you feel like you're still alive, that you enjoy doing, because it will be hard to find that one thing. And whether it be, I mean, I didn't even want to watch TV. You just don't find joy. There's not a lot of happiness in your life. And so my recommendation to those individuals was you find something that you can feel like you still have something to live for, you know. And I did. I had a wife and everything, but you just got to feel like you're still there, you know. You're not just some <laughs> something already dying on a, on a bed anyway. So yeah. that's kind of so it. How far did you run? I mean, I can't. 
you are sick like 10 times the flu and, yeah. and, and running. Not real far. I would, it depended on how cold it was. It was a cold winter that winter. And there were days that, you know, the highs were in January, 18 degrees and inversion was thick, but I would try to go two to three miles. I'd have to take my phone with my wife. My wife would call me maybe every 10 minutes, make sure I wasn't laying on the side of the road because she wasn't about to go out there and run. She thought it was stupid, but I, (laughs) and she was pregnant too, right? She was pregnant. Sure. Yeah. She wasn't going to do it, but she would call me and I said, you know, I want you to follow me in the car. I just want to be able to do this and get through it. And I did it. And so I would, some, some, it would just depend on the day, you know, the first of the week of the long weeks, I was feeling pretty good. You felt pretty good going into the long weeks of chemo, those stretches. So the first couple of days I was, you know, maybe three miles. Um, but by the end of the week, I maybe was doing a mile and a half. And a lot of it, I, I remember, I, I do remember running with my eyes closed just cause I was so tired, but I just kept pushing through it, you know? Wow. So, that is amazing. That's so a- that's it. I've ran in some full marathon. I've ran six races now since chemotherapy. I was had a couple scheduled this last couple of years, but so I've done six marathons and some other races, but, um, they canceled the coronavirus. So I haven't ran a couple, you know, I still run a long distance, but I haven't raced for, you know, 18 months now, probably. So is marathon, is that your favorite distance? Well, that's about where I'm at. I think the training to go anything further with my three little kids would be, it's hard enough to train for a marathon. It's time consuming. You know, you spend a lot of your time and your days running. Uh, the people do, you know, 50Ks and 30-mile runs up mountains, and now they're doing centuries, 100-mile races. And right. I don't know. I, I'm not, I don't have that endurance in my I guess. I don't know. <laughs> or that time commitment. But well, anyway, running saved my life, in my opinion, other than also, you know, the support I had from loved ones and stuff like that, obviously. But yeah. that's what I, I decided when I heard that if she could walk to her mailbox and back, I was going to run. I don't know why I decided that, but I did. <laughs> I'm glad you did because it sounds like it yeah. made a huge difference. And it's something yeah. that you have enjoyed afterwards. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so I have. That yeah. is really cool. And Lewis mentioned that this whole thing just changed your perspective. Like I said, he, he's just so impressed that you, you're skiing with your kids, you're playing, you're taking time with your family. You put them first over, you know, over work and money and whatever yeah yeah you go through that linda i'm sure you've had experiences in your life and those that that you associate with or you come in contact with everybody has something in their life that kind of alters them in one direction right and this was this was a uh, you know you you know as good as anybody with your husband being in the airline industry that's an industry that can take you away from your family for sure it can take you um you miss out on a lot of things and it might be necessary to provide for your family and be able to do that. I've been fortunate enough to be able to do that and be able to be there for my family, but I've been able to family. It's the most important thing to me. You know, I, you know, you go through something like that and the experiences of that just make you, I was young. I was going to be, you know, I was going to fly the biggest airplane I could fly, right. Make the most amount of money at 29 years old. When I got into the industry, I thought, or I think 28 or whatever. That was the goal. That was the that's where everybody, I think, starts, and then life right. happens, right? And then you start to say, "Is that really important to me?" Probably not. Um, so I, I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky to be able to do what I enjoy. I love airplanes. I love flying airplanes. But I'm also very blessed to be able to be a dad and have my family, my kids know who I am. You know, so 
And that is so important. And your kids are so fortunate to have you. We, we feel the same way that um, money, I mean, you can always make up money. If you sure. lose money, you can make it back up. But right. you can't make up yep. time. Once right. time is gone, it, it's a one-way ticket. It's, it's gone. So, and kids, they and, grow and up And talking fast. to Lewis is, I can't believe you guys have, all your kids are grown and some are married. And, I know, you know crazy, like, Sus. So when I met, I met Lewis, I think you guys still had two at home, right? Probably. And maybe three. And now your daughter's married, right? And lives in Arizona. And just, mm-hmm. It's just crazy how fast it goes. So you got to appreciate it when you can, right? Definitely, definitely. And when you have little kids, days can be long. And it seems like, oh my gosh, this is taking forever. And then you, you turn around, it's like, whoa, where'd it go? They're gone. Everybody's yeah. gone. So all me, those yeah. times are, are precious. So I'm proud of you for just enjoying enjoying the journey. Well, You're doing you. awesome. Well, I don't know if I'm doing it right, but I'm doing it how I want to do it, which is, I guess, important to me, right? <laughs> Perfect. I think there's more than one right way to do things. Um, like running, someone else might pick something different, but I think putting the priorities of, of putting family and relationships and, and finding joy in life, I, I think those are usually the right answer. So, yeah. So good stuff. Awesome. So Andy, thank you so much for joining with me today. In closing, I'd like to share a quote by Galileo. He said, I have loved the stars too fondly to be fearful of the night. Today, I invite you to recognize the light and the stars in your life and to focus on those things rather than the darkness. See you next time on Linda's Corner.